Friends, listen with me to another parable from Jesus as he's making his way to the cross. Last week, we heard a parable. This week, we'll hear a parable. We have five weeks of these tricky, beautiful, somewhat confusing stories from Jesus, all describing the reality of the kingdom that he's bringing to God's people through his own life and death and resurrection. So I invite you to open up your imaginations again and listen with me. This is what Jesus says. He's in the temple courts teaching to the chief priests and elders and Pharisees and everyone else who's gathered around, and this is what he says. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, and he dug a wine press, and he built a watchtower. Then he rented the land to some farmers and went away to another place. When harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned the third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and they treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to the tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched death, they answered, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop. Jesus said to them, have you not read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to others who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for ways to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds because the people held that he was a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This parable shows us some beautiful parts of God's character and also holds some chilling moments of judgment So I wonder if together this morning, wherever you are, if we could wrap our hearts around first 
the, the long-suffering love of God. Second, the centrality of the Son. And third, your response to it all. The long-suffering love of God, the centrality of the Son, and third, your response to it all. First, the long-suffering love of God. What do I mean by long-suffering? I mean patience, care, a, a God who continually pursues his people, his creation, his world with a love that's unrelenting. One commentary I was reading pointed out that in the first verse of this parable, verse 33, the landowner is the subject of eight different verbs. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it. He dug a wine press. He built a watchtower. He rented it to some tenants. And he sent his servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. God, the landowner, has a heart of care for the world and for his people. Jesus here is echoing the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 5. When he said, I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. And then the prophet says this, which I think is beautiful. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? Here's a photo of what a vineyard might have looked like at this time. <clears throat> this is actually a ruin from a vineyard that would have been filled with grapes and abundant harvest. You can see in these two photos a wine press, which is that circular groove. My mom took this picture on a trip to Israel in a place called Nazareth Village, where they demonstrate some of the agricultural practices at the time that Jesus would have been talking about. You can see in this other picture a watchtower. I read one commentary that said this could easily be called the parable of the many sendings. First, we see God's deep care for his vineyard, his people, the world. And then God's relentless pursuit after them. He sent his servants. And then more servants. And lastly, his own son. I love a book called the Jesus Storybook Bible. I would argue to you that it's not just for kids. And throughout this beautiful retelling of the story of God, they describe God's heart of relentless love this way. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. He sent his servants, and he sent more servants, and lastly, he sent his son. This is the patient love of God. 
Jesus is telling the story of a God who has not given up on his people Israel and on all of humanity, despite our continual resistance to the love of God through our own sin and brokenness and the sin and death that wreaks havoc on the world. This is the patient love of God that continues to say yes to you, continues to extend new life and kingdom possibilities to you. And and God's greatest yes to you is in the sending of his son. So this morning, could you wrap your heart around the truth that God's love for you is long-suffering, patient, relentless, it keeps going. God cares so deeply for his people Israel and, and now for the whole world as we're included in those promises as Gentiles that he sent his own son. Lastly, the landowner sent his son. They will respect my son, he said. First, the long-suffering love of God. Second, the centrality of the sending of the Son. The centrality and finality of the Son. Jesus and his kingdom, that's the center of this parable. That's the center of the story of the whole world. Look at verse 37 again. Lastly, he sent his Son to them. They will respect my Son, he said. This parable is one of three parables that shows up in each of the synoptic gospels, or in other words, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. This parable shows up in all three, and actually in the Mark version, the son is described as the landowner's beloved son. In the scope of salvation history, The history of the whole world, the Christ event, the incarnation, life, death, resurrection of Jesus, it's the center, it's the crux of everything. The moment that all of history had been building toward and the moment that everyone had been waiting for. And that's what Jesus is trying to describe here as his tone grows more urgent and more impassioned as he lives out the very center of the story for the people he so loves. And actually, this parable in Matthew's account is Jesus' first assertion of his divine sonship. If the landowner is God and Jesus is the son, Jesus is saying here, I'm the son of God and I'm here for you to inaugurate a new way. I'm the Messiah they'd been pointing to this whole time. So my beloved people, Israel, listen, look. And last of all, he sent his son, the son of God, for God's beloved and chosen people. This is the Son of God, sent to the people that God so loved, fulfilling the promises that God had made to Israel to be their God and to deliver them, and to expand the covenant promises to Gentiles as well. It's the final step in salvation history, and it's always been headed this way. 
Jesus is not God's plan B, but rather the culmination of God's faithful heart all along. Lastly, he sent his son. They will respect my son, he said. The centrality of the son, the Christ event. It's a unique and unrepeatable moment in the history of the whole world. Jesus here is saying, it's now or never. To the Jewish crowd he's speaking to, he's saying, we're either going to be a light to the nations and a city on the hill, and how that's going to happen is you're going to follow me, or this is all going downhill and you're going to destroy yourselves. It's all connected to Jesus' words about the destruction of Jerusalem that would happen some years later. Remember John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son? Jesus, the son of God, the center, and telos, and hero of the story, is standing right there in front of them. Will you receive me? Jesus was asking God's beloved people, Israel. And he's asking us the same thing because we've been grafted into the promises. Jesus as the center and the cornerstone. If you find the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew fascinating or even borderline interesting, you'll think this is cool if you don't just buckle up for a minute, I think you'll think this is cool by the end of this all. Did you see in verse 42 that Jesus is quoting Psalm 118? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But back in verse 37 and 38, Jesus was describing the son that the landowner sent. And here's what's cool. The Hebrew word for son is ben, and the Hebrew word for stone is eben. Jesus would have been telling this story in either Greek or in either Hebrew or Aramaic, even though Matthew's account is in Greek. So his listeners would have heard the wordplay: stone, eben, son, ben. The stone, the sun, the center of it all. It's connected. The rejected sun is connected to the rejected stone as the center of everything, the cornerstone of God's kingdom. So the new future that God is bringing through Jesus Christ, despite the ruin and the rejection of the wayward people. And the connection goes even further. Did you notice verse 44? Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Pastor John and I were talking about this passage, and he showed me that N.T. Wright showed him that Jesus here is referencing a story from Daniel 2, where the king had a dream about a statue, a huge, massive statue made of gold and bronze and iron and clay, and each section of the statue represented a different kingdom. 
And in the dream, a stone is dropped on the foot of the statue, and the entire statue comes crashing down and all the kingdoms of the world that it represents. And the Jews who were listening to Jesus would have remembered the Daniel 2 idolatry stone story now falling at the feet of the kingdoms of the world as the new kingdom that Jesus inaugurates breaks forth. Jesus is saying, I'm the rejected son and the rejected stone, and I'm inaugurating a new kingdom, and all your kingdoms of idolatry that you think are the center of everything, they're going to fall at my feet because the Christ event is the center of history, and the kingdom that he's inaugurating is the way forward. And he's saying, come on, guys, get on board. Here we go. Jesus is saying, I'm the foundation and the center of this subversive kingdom. He's been pointing to it all along in Matthew's gospel. It's a kingdom where the poor have all they need, where you gain your life when you lose it, a kingdom of self-giving, a kingdom of gentleness and compassion in a world that continues to fight. And he's saying to his Jewish listeners and to us now, Come with me into the new kingdom that I'm inaugurating. Because the kingdom of Jesus is the only true way, the only good way, the only way forward with a God whose love is continually chasing after us. First, the long-suffering love of God. Second, the centrality and finality of the sending of the Son. And third, I'm wondering about your response Jesus told all kinds of parables, but some of his parables were parables of reckoning. What do I mean by that? Parables that elicit a response. Parables that demand your life, the life of his listeners, to shift in some way. This parable describes the unfolding mission of Jesus to Israel, even as Jesus is headed toward the cross. Jesus is saying, my kingdom is the only way that Israel is going to fulfill its covenant purpose. And so if you don't follow my way, which is surprising and subversive, and I know I'm not the kind of king you expected, but if you don't follow my way of peace, it's not going to go well for you. So there's a decision to be made. For God's people, Israel, as the tenants, and for you, it's, it's a commentary of what Jesus sees happening in that very moment. Jesus is offering the kingdom, and here's the shift that happens. Given to a people who will produce its fruit. The, the kingdom of God is transferred from Israel to a mysterious nation, which is the church of both Jews and Gentiles. We're all included now, those who would follow Jesus, which is why Jesus' tone is getting more extreme and urgent and impassioned as he makes his way to the cross. He's laying out the facts, hoping that Israel would choose to step up to the call of his kingdom, and he's bringing Gentiles into the fold too. Here's the moment of decision that this parable is forcing on its listener then and on us now. 
what are you going to do about the reality that Jesus is bringing forth a new kingdom? A, a kingdom that's subversive, a kingdom that demands patience and gentleness and self-control and life in the spirit. There's no apathetic response that's actually possible for the kind of kingdom that Jesus is bringing. And that's why he has a sense of urgency in his voice. He's announcing a kingdom that demands a response of each one of us. And he's anticipating his own death and resurrection that will make it all possible. Jesus' words might seem harsh, and that's because he's intentionally stirring the pot for the Jewish leaders then and for us now. And because the kingdom of Jesus expands God's promises to both Jews and Gentiles, we who are Gentiles are not of Jewish heritage, we're invited to participate in the subversive upside-down kingdom that Jesus is inaugurating. It's actually quite astonishing that in Jesus, the promises of God are flung wide open to the whole world. For those of you worshiping in this online way who might not know, I'm the campus pastor of our warehouse location, which is a newer worshiping community that's been gathering for about two years. And my heart is overjoyed because this Sunday, March 5th, we get to celebrate in the sacrament of baptism with our warehouse worshiping community for the very first time. I'm so excited that my little friend, Leo Bohr, whose baptism has been requested by his parents, Natalie and Kyle, Leo's going to be baptized. He's going to receive the promises of God for his life. He's going to be marked with belonging in God's family. Because the love and grace of God, the mark of belonging in God's family, has now shifted from circumcision to water and the Spirit, which is open to men and women and people everywhere. The, the love and grace of God flung wide open, given to a people who might produce its fruit. So what will your response be to the son who was sent? Your life hinges on the reality of this son, this beloved son, whose life, death, and resurrection opens up to us a whole new future of belonging and new life. We'll speak over Leo's life. It was for you that Christ came into the world. It was for you that he died. It was for you that he rose again. Even though you may know so very little of it now, we love because God first loved us. And then Leo will be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What will your response be to the Son who was sent? 
sent for God's people Israel and sent for the whole world, for you and for me. Now we get to come to the table where we can participate in in some form of a response to Jesus' presence with us. We get to remember and taste and be nourished by the son who was sent for us. This is a meal that feeds us and sends us into the world to be the kind of tenants who can produce good fruit, not because we work so hard or perform so well, but because Christ by his spirit is in us and feeds us here and is with us to the very ends of the age. If, if you've responded with your life to the, the kingdom that Jesus has brought, if you'd consider yourself a Christian, you're welcome at this table. If you're not in that place in life or in faith, or for any other reason, choose not to receive communion, you're welcome here. Thanks for hanging with us through this crazy metaphorical story that Jesus was telling 2,000 years ago to the Jews then and to us now. That's a lot to take in. And however you're receiving it, feel free to email any one of our pastors through the Pillar website. We'd love to have a conversation with you about where you are, what questions you're asking, where your heart's at, and, and how you might be stirred to respond to the son who was sent. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his friends. And after giving thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you eat it. And in the same way, he took the cup and he poured it out for them. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Pour it out for the forgiveness of sins. The new covenant, all those promises that God had made, pointing towards, leading towards, culminating in the new covenant with Jesus. The covenant where you belong and where you're forgiven and where God's love never runs out or stops or ends for you. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.